Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. Um, I love this. Uh, I get to talk to Brett. I am really in the process of, I haven't even asked him this, but I am in the process of forming a panel. And he has been, here's what I want to tell you about Brett Bevel for a minute. You've heard him on the show. You've seen him. You've heard his personal story. But what you should know about is the depth and breadth by which he is passionate and committed to helping us change our minds and our hearts around racism. Those of us that understand this, how do we know it? Maybe we are not people of color, but maybe we're part of the LGBTQ community. Maybe we're in relationship or married to someone that has experienced this. Maybe because of that, you have experienced this. Maybe, maybe, maybe today's show is for you because here's what we're going to talk about. What can reason tell us about racism? Look, science has been in the forefront. Studies have been done, but neuroscience in particular will point to things and he is going to take us on a ride today because he has written the most incredible book, Healing Racism Within. And more than that, he is teaching and he is getting the message out. But pay attention to this, because science can pinpoint this thousands of years back. Brett, this is amazing topic because we don't put it together. We don't put science and racism together, do we? Not usually, not usually. I had a I had an interesting conversation a, a, about two weeks ago with uh, two neuroscientists who were going to be teaching at Omega Institute, Dr. Alex Korb and Dr. Lisa Miller, uh, and it, it was a side conversation through email. And I brought up the topic of uh, racism and talking about the brain, and they both then started sending me different articles and and the different studies that had been published in the world of neuroscience around this whole issue, and I found it really fascinating. I'm actually just going to read the title of one of the studies that came out in 2012. It's called Their Pain is Not Our Pain, Brain and Autonomic Correlates of Empathic Resonance with the Pain of the Same or Different Race of Individuals. So there's actually studies going on that show that, that, that the way we think often is that, you know, if we, if they show an image of somebody in pain, uh, in, in their mapping our brain at the same time will resonate with with somebody if they're if they look the same as us right if they look like they're the same color as us and yet if it's somebody who's experiencing pain who is a different color than us 
different parts of the brain are not lighting up. So it, it's just showing that that we really internalize this this uh, unfortunate thing called racism at the cellular level in our brains. And and I think there are ways that we can certainly change that through meditation, through gratitude practices, through energy work, and through really you know bringing attention, shining light on the on the issue, and and doing the, the inner work to to change how we think. Yeah. And uh, let's just give a recap on for a minute on some of the things we've previously talked about. I don't know of any incident that I've had in my life that I can put in the category of racism, uh, misogyny, whatever you want to call it, I, any of those categories, uh, gay bashing, hate crimes, right? Because I've, I've gone through. I don't know that there's any that I could pinpoint and say, oh, Brett, I was not traumatized by that. Because there is the science of trauma now. And, and let's talk about this. There are multiple kinds. There's the, I just got beat within an inch of my life trauma. And then there's the other one. There's the more passive aggressive. I can't walk down the street. If I lift my head up, somebody may hit me. This is inside of me every day. There's a science that's working on me, my self-esteem, telling me I'm not good enough. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, even just the, the most recent horrific crime that happened in, in Buffalo. You oh, know, I think, gosh. Oh, what if I'm an, an African-American person or a person of color of whatever race? You know, do I have to be afraid just to go to the grocery store now? You know what I mean? It's just, and to, to think from that perspective, uh, that, that what, it, what is it like for those people of color, whether they're living in Buffalo or in other communities around the country, to have to be thinking about that when you're just going to buy, you know, uh, uh, some vegetables for your, for cooking at home. I mean, it's ridiculous that, that, um, that we live in a society where this is, this is the reality. And, uh, I mean, it, it wants to get me started on the whole other topic of, you know, replacement theory and all the BS that, that some media outlets are putting out there. But, um, Anyway, I don't want to digress, but and, and but we're going to do another show because one of the things I'm really acutely aware of for the moment is um, a question that somebody asked me the other day. It's the other day, but actually it was like two weeks ago. Sorry, but then they came back to me again with the latest initiative and uh, information that's going on. Right, everything from Elon Musk's announcement this morning to the Supreme Court, and they say, Pat. What do you do? What are you going to do? Like, what are you doing? Like, we don't, we're not like, we're not like, see, we're not like seeing you do anything. And so I looked at that and I said, well, Brett writes a book. He's out here every day. He's teaching it. And I am doing something, but not enough. I have a network. I have Brett on the network. We're going to be expanding this. We're going to have an entire diversity channel. And yet, she came back and said to me, Brett, what else are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to talk to you. But you see, it is a time of action, but it's also a time of understanding. Help us understand the neuroscience of this and how insidious this can be. Yeah. So again, it's just, it's, it's literally, it's baked into the fabric of who we are. Uh, whether, whether you consider yourself to be somebody who's like, openly progressive and very liberal-minded about things, it's still baked into the fabric of our society. It's baked into our cellular consciousness. And that's where we need to start looking and start changing things if we really want to start 
to change society as a whole. Do we need to go out and vote? Yes. Do we need to make sure that the right people are, are running our programs and our government and, and all that? Yes. But we also, even in spite of that, we also still need to be doing the internal work, whether again, whether it's meditation or gratitude work or art therapy, whatever it takes for us to go inside and literally change that, that formula that exists inside of all of us. I would say it's, it's just part of our society. It's part of the, the water that we drink. <laughs> you know, that mm -hmm. energy of racism is, is in every little interaction that we are part of. And so we have to, first of all, just acknowledge it and become aware of it. And then once we are aware of it, then start doing the inner work. But yes, always, we always have to be doing the outer work too, voting, protesting, bringing our voices out to the, to the town square in whatever way we can. Uh, we understand science when it's explained to us, Brett. We have a sense of it. But can we talk about some of the studies that you've discovered? This is so important. I've done these myself, right? When in my social science program, mm -hmm. but there are studies of neuroscience and they say something about a couple of things, racial empathy and what my mentor called racial action in support based on empathy. But let's take the first. Let's just talk about racial empathy. Do we, it, does it even exist? Help, help me here. Yeah, so I think it can exist. It's just that, that we are often, you know, we're often taught to just really associate with our tribe. Who, who is our tribe, right? It's kind of deeply wired in, the, in the, that, that sort of primitive part of the brain that we, we, wanna, we wanna survive. Right. And so who looks like us, that's who we automatically think of as our tribe. And it's really about realizing we are no longer in that that place of survival. We're no, we're no longer cave people, you know, uh, wondering if the tiger is going to attack us. We don't that that reality isn't true anymore for us. So we can let go of that reality and can now expand our circle of who do we consider to be part of our tribe to now embrace the wider spectrum of humanity and when we can do that when we can really kind of open that up in our consciousness not just in our consciousness but literally in the in the cells of our body with how we think about other people um, then that's when these changes will start to occur both internally as well as externally i have to uh mention that i, I recently met with a group of these 10 women in louisville kentucky it was it was a virtual meeting and they're doing uh, a constant study of my book, uh, Healing Racism Within, and just hearing them talk about the way the book has impacted their lives and the things that they're seeing about patterns in their own lives, the way, the way it's helping them be more vocal in speaking about issues of race in, uh, in Louisville, which is, you know, <laughs> uh, a place where there has been definitely some, some racial issues in, in the past year or two. Um, so. I think there's just so much work that we can do here to really bring light onto this deeper issue that's part of all of us. And I want to really talk about this because I think we have to take 30 seconds. And Benny, we're going to skip the break because there's really a lot to talk about, Brett. Um, I want to just take a moment because a lot of times when we talk about racism, we go to racism and <clears throat> when we talk about racism and dynamics between men and women or gender, let's call it, let's just say gender. Um, we often think about color and white. That is not the spectrum of this. You know, it's fascinating to me 
because I just recently shared that I found out that grandpa was born in Brazil, changed his name, changed the last letter on his name, made it a, a vowel, changed, made himself Italian, right? It, like, it, like his name was not that. And he made the S uh, uh, an A. I, I just found this out. Uh, thank you, ancestry, and right? And I was talking to some people, and one of them said to me, I don't think, I don't think Brazilian is Latina. So there's another layer of this within the realms of race, isn't there? Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, again, I think it goes back to that tribal sense of who we are, and there can be so many ways to identify who is our tribe or who is not part yeah. of our tribe. There can yeah. be so much of that us versus them mentality that can come out in all kinds of ways, whether it's around, you know, gender or race or variations of color, even, even people who are of the same race and experiencing discrimination because some are darker skinned than others within that same, same race. I mean, that's a very, very real issue as well. Um, so it's all those variations. I think if we can just begin to expand that sense of who we are considering to be part of our tribe and to let the fear go. You know, there's so much fear mongering too these days, especially in the media. Um, and I think it, it just only fuels the, the flames of these triggers that many people have. And it, it's like pouring gasoline on a fire. Oh my God, it is. You know, uh, look, studies, shootings, and I want to get back to science. Um, I remember, it was really interesting, my first dynamic of understanding a little bit about the way I looked when I was younger. Um, I had, I went, my sister was going to school for beauty school. She didn't know what she was doing. And she decided she was going to do my hair. So she does my hair. Long story short, it's orange. Every place I went, it was assumed that I was either Puerto Rican, right? Because people would start talking to me in Spanish. That's how I knew that. Just by that, right? And so when do we get to the neuroscience of different, but not less than? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because, uh, like I said, I was having this conversation. It was a you know email conversation with Dr. Lisa Miller and Dr. Alex Korb, and I was I was bringing that issue that very issue up. Like, you know, yes, we've got certain scientific studies that can show us that that racism is real and that how it exists in the brain. And you know, my question is like, what's that next step? How do we start to then you know use neuroscience to change the brain to really uh, you know, rewire that, that racist mindset so that it, it is no longer uh, in a place of hatred and us versus them, but it's more in a place of holism and compassion. Mm -hmm. And one thing that, that Dr. Lisa Miller was talking about was how, you know, it, it's kind of that, that spectrum of between oneness and wholeness yeah. and difference. And often we go to one or the other. Often we're either like, oh, it's all one, or we're totally focused on the difference. And she's like, no, it's really both. We have to be in that place where we can see both that everything is one and we are all interconnected and all connected to the divine. And mm -hmm. at the same time, 
there are differences. And how can we live in that place of both acknowledging those differences and appreciating those differences, and at the same time, realizing we are also mm -hmm. still one, we are also still interconnected. I love that we're talking about this because first of all, the title of your book is Healing Racism uh, Within. Can we just take a moment and update people on one, how they can get a copy of the book in case they wanna start a book club themselves to study the book. And then also give us an update on some of the events you're doing um, and to get the word out here. Sure, so the book, you can get it on you know any, any bookseller, amazon.com, Barnes and Noble. Uh, also, I always a big fan of supporting your local bookstore. If they don't hold have it right now, you could go in and just ask them to order it for you. Um, it's readily available wherever books are sold, really. So again, the title is Healing Racism Within a Lightworker's Guide. And for my events, uh, the next public event that I'm doing is at Omega Institute the weekend of July 1st through 3rd, a first and second degree Reiki training, which includes not only traditional Reiki training, but I also weave in what I call psychic Reiki, which I see as being kind of the next step in the evolution of Reiki. It's a very wonderful place to learn if you've never been to Omega. So I hope some people will come check it out there. You can also find out about just me and my, my events at brettbevel.com. That's B-R-E-T-T-B-E-V-E-L-L.com. Let's talk about what if we had what would change, Brett, from where you sit? Because you are the person that teaches this, that you work one-on-one, -on -one, you help people. But I would like to know, when we take a look at the science of this and we take a look at racial empathy of this, uh, I was recently looking at a study that looked at racial in-group bias, empathy for people that are in pain, um, and the fact that when you look at racial in-group in, in bias and people, individuals in pain, it's also characterized by neural responses, right? And, and those responses are perceived pain for the same relative to other race individuals. So what happens is we share in the pain, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. What can we do? to educate people, but we're beyond education, I think, Brett, and your book says it. We now have to learn how to heal it. I mean, what if schools had your book? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, um, I, I wish more schools had my books. I yeah. hope some do. I know I almost feel that that group of women in Louisville, that like, that's like a school of its own. I mean, they're not officially a school, but the work that they're doing is, I was very touched by it and talking to them. And I really think that, that it's, it's about developing these practices. And again, I, I've often said it, I've said it on your show a number of times, if there's nothing else people can do to make a daily practice of what I call multicultural gratitude, where you're making a list of you know, 15 to 20 things every day that you appreciate that are about people who are of a different color or who speak a different language than you. And you're really just Again, that what that does, it may sound very simple or even, even not that important, but what that does, if you start to do that on a regular basis, it starts to rewire your brain because as you're expressing gratitude for that person who might seem like the other or that culture that might seem different than yours, you're actually creating a kind of a neural pathway between you and appreciating people who are different than you. And as you start to do that, then that opens up that realm to be more empathic. Mm -hmm. more empathizing when when somebody who looks different than you is having to be in a place of fear because 
other people that look like them are getting shot when they go to the grocery store or when they're being pulled over uh, at a traffic light stop. So when you're doing those simple practices, it literally starts to rewire your brain. There's other things that people can do too, whether it's you know Tonglen meditation or energy healing. Right. And I, I always come back to the one practice that everybody can do is, is multi, multi, uh, multi-racial gratitude. Oh. Wow. The gap that I see, I'd like you to jump in. The gap that I see, I'm starting to see more voices. And what do I mean by more voices? I was talking to somebody the other day, Brett, and I said, you know, the silence is deafening. And they say, what are you talking about? There's stuff all over social media. I said, yeah, that's the silence. Because when you look at social media, having somebody tweet something is a dilution. And I said, what I think we just saw last weekend, and we're going to see more of, is what happens when people show up in a place and express how they feel about something. When you're looking in somebody's eye, not some little Twitter or Facebook feed, and you're looking at them and you're seeing the passion and the purpose. Um, Doesn't that also help do rewiring for those people that think they're alone? Yeah, I mean, I, I going back to you know this this group of women in in Louisville when I heard them share their stories and how they were connecting not to just the, the 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 things that I mentioned in my book but connecting to each other around those various topics and you know even talking about their own stories often related to abuse and relating the patterns of that abuse to the larger patterns of racism that exist in society which I also talk about in my book. And there's so much healing that can happen when we do that, when we come together as a group, when we come together in community, face-to-face, not just on social media or uh, through places like Twitter and Facebook. But when we have groups of people that meet together, um, you know, that's where their deepest healing Mm -hmm. can happen. Um, You know, Brett, I know we've talked about quite a bit, but there are a few things that perhaps I wanted to get your opinion that, you know, in in the couple of minutes we have left, I want to know what's at the top of your radar. You know, when you wake up you, you, and, and you start to enter the world and you say, wow, this is on my mind and I wish I could do blank with it. Yeah, I mean, for me in my, in my own uh, personal work, I think it's going to be more focusing. I think I haven't started to do it, but I think I need to write a book about my story. Because when yes. I was talking to these women in Louisville, I said, what are the two most things that you found to be most important for the book? And the first thing they mentioned was your story. And so I think I need to do a book that's just about my story, whether it'll be a fictionalized version or autobiography, I don't know. But I think I need to do that. And the the other thing they mentioned was uh, referring to white privilege as white cowardice, because they felt that was very liberating, that it really named it for what it was. And so when I wake up each day, I really think that's the area, that's, that's where my contribution can be to the, to the greater good is, is to push those things a little bit more out into the, the consciousness of our society. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, other people will start to gather with their stories and their wisdom and we can change this. I do believe that, that racism is not something that has to be part of our human experience. I think we can evolve beyond it, but it takes work and it takes effort. It does take effort. It does take work. And at the flip side of that, there's also this level of fulfillment 
to know that you are in a position to do that. And I'm so thrilled that you are thinking about writing a book to share your story because we are now connecting more than ever with stories, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, I think stories are, are, are often the, the true healers. I mean, you know, you can read a book about somebody who, who, what they went through and get that empathetic wisdom from the book. Um, you know, healing doesn't have to always come by going to a therapist or a Reiki healer or a doctor. There's other ways to find healing. And I think stories is one of our original ways to find healing. So, um, you know, stories are very powerful. And I, I'm really thinking deeper about telling mine. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm telling you, you are telling your story. You're showing up and you're showing out and you're enabling us to really fully understand that we can do it too. Brett, how do we get a copy of your book? How do we find out about you? And what's your personal message? What would you like to leave us with today? Yeah, so I'll start with, again, you can get my book on amazon.com or Barnes and Noble or any place where books are available, Healing Racism Within, A Light Worker's Guide. Um, you can find out more about me at brettbevel.com. I would love if anybody wants to learn Reiki, come learn it with me at Omega Institute the weekend of July 1st through 3rd. It's a beautiful place to learn uh, energy healing, a beautiful campus there. And my last message, I guess, would be just if there's nothing else you can do, uh, express gratitude, not just for yourself, not just for people who look like you, but widen that circle. Know your own divine magic and extend peace and love to all with Reiki master and author Brett Bevel. Brett offers empowering solutions with energy healing modalities, magical awakening, and psychic Reiki. Brett's latest book, Healing Racism Within, A Lightworker's Guide, draws on his own journey of growing up in a racist community and healing childhood trauma. For more on the most cutting-edge energy healing techniques, visit brettbevel.com. Do you get stuck in that someday attitude, living the same day over and over again with no action? The Becoming You Show, big ideas that inspire, impact, and influence your life with Leah Rowling is for you. Tune in every Friday at 11 a.m. Central on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This show will have you feeling inspired to take action with purpose and intention. For more information and to get in touch with me, visit www.LeahRowling.com. Welcome to the Becoming You Show with me, your host, Leah Rowling. Do you believe you are capable of choosing your future? Sometimes it takes just one person to believe in you, for you to believe in yourself. If you find yourself continuing to say, someday I will take better care of myself, only to continue living the same day over and over and over again, then you, my friend, are in the right place. I am your biggest cheerleader, inspiring you to become you, on purpose and with intention. Are you ready to create a life you love? I'm excited to share with you some big ideas that you can use today to inspire, impact, and influence your life and everyone in it. The Becoming You show starts now. Happy Friday, friends. How are you? How was your week? We made it to another Friday and whether or not you feel like it was a great week or not, you still have this day. 
what will you choose to do with it? You still have this opportunity to get inspired and to shift and to choose how you want to show up, to refocus and to reset. It's always a choice. Today, I'm super excited to talk to you about the secret to success. And I don't think it's what you think. It's not because you're lazy. It's not because of your circumstances. It's not because of how you were raised. It's not because of your IQ. It's not because of your appearance or your popularity. It's not because of the city you live in. It's not because of whether or not you're landlocked. It's because of your feelings, okay? And I talk about feelings a lot on the podcast and in the work I do because they were once so foreign to me. They so often eluded me. I got so good at being fine that I think I truly believed that I was. Now, some of you might be thinking, what's wrong with being fine, Leah? And to that, I have two things to say. If you are truly fine, then I have no problem with that right? If you are truly fine, then you will also feel truly not fine. If you haven't noticed or haven't allowed for the opposition of your fine, then your fine isn't fine. Secondly, an inauthentic fine does not allow you to show up genuinely, honestly, and vulnerably. And all three are required for true connection with not only yourself, but with the world. I know this because this was my life. My fine was not fine. My fine disconnected me from having any real and meaningful relationships. I wore my fine proudly because if I wasn't fine, then I would have to admit that I was anything but. I would have to admit that I was weak, that something was wrong with me, that I wasn't worthy or lovable, that I wasn't enough. And that, my friends, would confirm the story I was trying so desperately to run from. Fine meant that I didn't need help or support. Fine meant that I had my life together. Fine meant that I had figured life out. Fine meant that I didn't have to be vulnerable. Fine allowed me to pretend that I was something that I wasn't. Fine allowed me to bypass this emotional undercurrent and walk out my house like <laughs> nothing was wrong. I still catch myself sometimes double checking my fine to, to ensure its authenticity. So I want you to ask yourself, what are you feeling? And if you're feeling great, good, outstanding. But if you're not feeling so good, what is that about? What is the feeling? Can you name it? Is it worry? Is it frustration? Is it depressed? Is it guilt? Is it resentment? Is it bored? Friends, feelings are not soft and fluffy. Feelings are also not a gender thing. Right? They are a human thing. They are everything. Feelings are the currency for us to live the biggest life ever. And I'm going to try to sell you on that today in this podcast, because I wish I would have known that avoiding my feelings and finding them away for decades was costly. It prevented me from having true and real relationships. I would have had to feel vulnerable for that. It prevented me from going after my dreams. I would have had to feel disappointed. It prevented me from knowing who I was. I would have had to feel frustrated. It prevented me from sitting still. <laughs> if I was moving, I wasn't feeling. 
It prevented me from setting boundaries and being honest. Hard to be honest when I'm people pleasing and pretending that I want to do something that I don't. That that might mean that people might not like me and that I would have to feel rejected and abandoned. It stole my integrity. It prohibited my alignment and it deterred my growth. I would say that's pretty costly. I truly believe that if you can master the two things that I'm going to share with you today, you will create more goodness, more love, more abundance, more success, and become a different version of you and more powerful than you ever thought possible. So first thing, we have to understand what is true and not true about feelings. And second thing, we have to be willing and able to feel feelings. These are the two things that I'm promising you that if you master, you'll have all the goodness and you will reach and maximize the fullest potential of who it is that you are. So let's dive into the first one. Understanding what is true and not true about feelings. Here's what's true. Feelings are the fuel for everything we do. Feelings are the fuel for everything we don't do. They are the reason we are successful and the reason we're not successful. The secret to success is feelings. Think about it. Success is determined by how well we obey ourselves. Meaning, do we do what we say we're going to do? The reason we don't obey ourselves is because we don't want to feel. Every single excuse we make in this life is because of an emotion. Want to stop making excuses? Start feeling. Everything we do or don't do is either to feel a certain way or to not feel a certain way. If I live my life avoiding hard, avoiding bored, avoiding disappointment, avoiding tired, avoiding failure, avoiding true connection, my life will no doubt suck. What else is true is emotions are created by our thinking. They are vibrations in the body. That's it. So why is it that we try so hard to avoid them? Is it because we don't want to waste time on feeling a feeling? Is it that we don't want to feel, really feel the pain? Is it that we don't want to suffer? Is it that we don't want to admit that we don't always have it together? Is it our overall story about feeling in general? When you think about feelings, what's your feeling story? When you were growing up, were feelings allowed? Were they permitted? Were they celebrated? Or were they dismissed, deflected, and diffused? Do you think feelings are for the weak? Do you think feelings make you imperfect? Do you think feelings confirm your fears that something has gone wrong, that maybe you are wrong? We distract ourselves with food and social media and shopping and the quote-unquote doing to not feel. And what's interesting is that so much of the time, distractions take more time. And I know for sure they create their own suffering and pain. Friends, the absolute worst thing ever is to have a negative emotion. And when you realize that negative emotions aren't even all that bad, you can 
actually begin to step into this greatness of your life. In order to reinvent your life, in order to become new versions of us, we have to break the habit of being us, which means we have to be willing to be uncomfortable, discontent, disappointed. I promise you this is true. How you feel on the daily determines your personality. It's how other people perceive you, right? She's a happy-go-lucky person. She's a negative Nelly. Feelings are oftentimes how we characterize other people, right? Like, oh man, you're going to love her. She's always so happy. She's always got the best attitude. Or, oh man, he's super chill and super easygoing. Your I am statements are qualified by the emotional expression of who it is that we are being. I'm impatient. I am kind. I'm an avoider. I'm a procrastinator. All of these identities create your reality. And as Joe Dispenza says, your personality creates your personal reality. So then your ability then to allow and understand feelings, your I am statements, makes you either more or less successful at anything you have the desire to do. Here's what feelings are not. Feelings are not facts. They are not an expression of what is true. Rather, an invitation to explore the perception of what you think is real. Feelings are not dictators, meaning they are not for you to use or deflect on someone else. Rather, an indicator that there is something for you to explore, heal from, and grow. I didn't realize that my shame was for me to explore and heal. And so instead, I blamed everyone else, right, on how they were not enough for me, on how they didn't support me, on how they didn't care about me. When I healed my shame, it was me that was not enough for me. It was me that didn't support me. And it was me that didn't care about me. Feelings are also in the present. There are no such thing as past and future feelings. There's not. There's just feelings in the now moment created by sentences in our brain. Okay. So that's feeling. The second thing I want you to master is actually how to feel feelings. When I say we want to give meaning to our situations, right? So that we can find something, not only that we believe, but that allows us to feel better. It doesn't mean that to feel happy all the time, right? There are things in your life that you're not going to want to feel happy about. But most times we can identify a better emotion, one that makes us move through an experience better versus stuck in an experience bitter. I also want you to feel in control of your feelings, not so fearful of them and able and willing to feel them. And I think the, one of the best ways to control your feelings is to realize that you are a feeling being that you're supposed to feel feelings, that nothing is wrong with you when you do. It doesn't make you weak or pathetic or incapable. It makes you human. You take control of them by owning the responsibility for them, not projecting them onto other people and feeling them knowing 
that they are just vibrations in the body created by your thoughts. My hope is that in knowing this, that if we are the creators of them, they also become less scary. It is part of our physiology, part of our humanness. And when you know that this is not only part of your humanness, that it's actually required to live the most amazing life possible. I want to share with you why. First, when you don't understand that we are supposed to feel, we double down on the feeling. We worry that we're worried. We get mad that we're mad. We get frustrated that we are frustrated. And instead of just feeling that feeling, we judge it. We put an immense amount of shame around it. And when we judge it, that emotion escalates. Let me give you an example. When you are overwhelmed, that you are overwhelmed, we create anxiety for ourselves. Did you know that you could just do a little overwhelm? You could. But when we judge it and when we get mad at it, we create a hefty dose of anxiety for ourselves. Do you see how we're compounding it with this? Second, when we resist it and we don't want to feel it, we limit the possibility of our life. Let me give you another example. If I'm scared of being disappointed, I risk the opportunity to be fulfilled. We have to take risks sometimes to pursue our goals and our dreams and our desires. And if we have a zero disappointment tolerance, our destiny will be defined by the randomness of our comfortability. Think about what you haven't done, the dreams that you haven't put into motion for fear of disappointment. Guys, we could do a little disappointment, right? If that's the worst thing that we have to feel, we can all feel it. If we fear rejection, we miss out on genuine connection. True connections require vulnerability. It requires us to stop pretending. It requires us to stop people pleasing and start being real. If we never let our true selves be known, if we keep our guard or our wall up, this was my fine fence. When we do that, we do that so that no one can truly reject us because they don't even genuinely know us. And yes, that might mean that people don't, people don't like you, but consider they didn't like you anyway. They liked a pretend version of you. I would much rather be me and have the people like me for me than not be me and have people like a pretend version of me. I'm not for everyone. And when I try to live for everyone, I actually end up living for no one. Here's another one. When we fear failure and make it mean all sorts of heavy things, we miss out on success. When we are not willing to be uncomfortable, we lose out on integrity and authenticity. This is similar to that rejection and connection notion. Sometimes we know we are people-pleasing and pretending. We even know that it is not serving us but we are so uncomfortable saying what's actually true. We don't want to upset anyone. So we upset ourselves. We are so afraid that they might get mad at us. So instead, we get mad at ourselves. When it's really uncomfortable to say what's true, 
We forgo our integrity, our authenticity, and attempt to manage someone else's feelings. So many times I see us giving our emotional well-being over to people that are hardly able and capable of handling their own. Authenticity is your word to yourself. It is saying that you matter, that you are important, that the full expression of you is what is required. You wouldn't dare say to your kids or your best friend, hey, you know what I think? If you were just a little different, if you could just pretend to be somebody else, that would make people happy. So just do that. (laughs) Heck no. But how often do we do that to ourselves? I see it far too often. See how not allowing or getting good at negative emotion creates challenges for us. It either compounds it and it causes us to show up in a way that we don't want, or it creates results in a way that we don't want. It is perfectly safe to feel any emotion when you know that you, that they are created by you and that they are not what's true about your world. And if they are true emotions, i.e. being attacked by a bear or being held hostage at gunpoint, then we should be afraid. We want to be afraid. We want the brain to produce a surge of adrenaline to kick in. But that is rarely the case. Most of our emotions that we feel are just part of being human. So here's the truth. There is opposition in all things, including feelings. And with this contrast of emotion, our life is much more beautiful. It is necessary. I think our emotions allow us to grow, connect, and step into the highest version of ourselves. We think we want comfort and ease, but there's no growth there. We think we want predictability, but there are no possibilities there. So I hope I was able to sell you or at least kind of create some awareness, some awareness that emotions might matter. They might even more than matter. They might be the reason for every single result in your life. So if this is true, then what are the emotions that you operate from on the daily? What is your normal? Our bodies fight to rebalance and get to homeostasis, i.e. normal. So it's really important to know what it is. Have you ever gone on vacation or had some other really amazing experience, an experience that was incredibly exciting? And did you notice that when you came back home, you found yourself a little down, a little sad? That is because your body, your physiology needs needs to get you back to baseline. When you were on vacation, you were way up here. If this is your normal, Your physiology brings you all the way back down here to normalize you here at homeostasis. So if you were to choose the emotions that make up your normal, what would they be? Maybe confident, maybe grateful, maybe committed, maybe curious, maybe compassionate, content, joyful. What would it be? You get to choose. Did you know that you could just generate whatever emotions that you wanted? I want to challenge you to look at your normal. What emotions are you operating from? Some of us operate from a couple of positives, a couple of negative ones. What are the negative ones that you're operating from? I know before I started doing this work, I felt frustration every single day. 
And I've done so much work. And it's not to say that I, I don't feel it sometimes. <clears throat> I do, but it's not my normal. I knew frustration was not the emotion that I wanted to fuel my life. Frustration and annoyance was second nature to me. I constantly noticed how everyone was doing it wrong, how they were just not very smart or how they should ask me how to do it right, or my kids are doing it wrong, or the people that I encountered are just misinformed, right? And then I would get frustrated and irritated and annoyed and super judgmental that they should be doing it differently. And why is it that they don't see it the way I see it? This wasn't working for me in my life. I get tired of being so frustrated with everyone and my kids and myself. And I just finally said, is enough is enough. And I shifted to curiosity. And that is so much better, my friends, than judgment. Curiosity solves for judgment. Curiosity gets me out of judging why she thinks that way to wondering why she does. Instead of judging what they believe, curiosity asks, I wonder why they believe that. Curiosity allows me to be compassionate in the experience instead of frustrated. Instead of getting mad right, when my kids swear, I wonder, hmm, I wonder why they like that word so much. Curiosity allows me to hold them accountable without getting angry. It looks like this. Why is it that you love to say fill in explicit word so much? Hmm. Well, since you love it so much, you can write that word a hundred times. It's not fail proof, but almost. They dislike writing. When I get curious with everyone else, guess who else I get curious with? Myself. I wonder why I stayed up too late. I wonder why I overate. I wonder why I'm not following through. I wonder what I'm needing. Curiosity is an emotion that you can generate on purpose. Whenever I judge less, I always feel better. Curiosity connects us and me to humanity. It's one of my very favorite emotions. You know what other emotion I love? Gratitude. And I'm sure you're sick and tired about hearing how important a gratitude practice is. And I'm sorry, I'm going to tell you again, it's not just trendy or popular. It is the single most important research practice to reorient and rewire your brain to hope. Your brain is already on the lookout for what's going wrong, looking for a problem to solve. Gratitude looks for what's right, what's good, and what we appreciate, appreciates. There are several ways that you can practice gratitude. One, through journaling. I like to write five things that I'm grateful for every day in my planner. And if nothing comes, I just start with A and then run through the alphabet. It doesn't have to be huge things. It can be little things. A reoccurring gratitude for me are mechanical pencils. I love them and I'm so thankful for them because I always have a sharp pencil and that's really all I write with. I do have my fair share of highlighters and markers, but nothing beats right, a good mechanical pencil. So that's what I'm grateful for. My other gratitude practice is really, really simple. I call it my two-minute morning. And while I'm brushing my teeth, I have a little conversation with me. I ask myself how I am and how I want to be and how I'm thankful for why it's going to be a good day. 
and maybe why it wasn't a good day. Gratitude feels normal for me, but it didn't always. It didn't instill. I, I started intentionally generating this emotion for myself. Another emotion that I love and that I chose on purpose was commitment. I wanted to make commitment part of my normal because it is such a useful emotion. Commitment is a no matter what emotion. It is a, I am going to do what I say emotion. Commitment is a self-respect emotion. Commitment is I do what I say I'm going to do. And I don't say it if I'm not going to do it. I really try to treat myself like I do everyone else. I'm far from perfect at it, but I try. I wouldn't tell you that I'm going to meet you for coffee on Saturday and not show up. And yet we do that to ourselves all the time. I'm going to start working out on Monday and then Monday comes and we change our mind. I'm going to start going to bed earlier. I'm going to cut out sugars. No more Diet Coke. Think about the success that you would have if you learn to obey yourself. Commitment is obeying yourself. It's honoring your word. Those are my favorite three emotions. Now, this doesn't mean that I don't experience negative emotion. Of course I do. This is just my homeostasis. This is where I live. So I want you to tell yourself the truth. What are the top three emotions that you operate from? And where, where and what do you want them to be? What if this month you worked on replacing a negative emotion? One with like compassion or commitment or curiosity or contentment. I promise you practicing this single skill, feeling and generating emotions is the key to your success, right? Friends, knowing what feelings are and knowing how to feel them and generate them is the key to living an amazing life. A life that is rich in experience, rich in opposition, rich in connection and fulfillment. Our success is dependent upon it. If you like this episode, would you do me a huge, huge favor? Would you share it with some of your favorite people and ask them to do the same? This movement requires our movement. This movement to become more of who it is that we are by being more. I truly believe that together, you and me, we can become more and inspire others to do the same. We can change the world one mindset at a time, starting with ourselves. If you want to take what you're learning on this podcast to the next level, I want you to check out our Becoming group. I would love to have you in there. You could check us out at www.leahrolling.com forward slash becoming. Ah, this community needs more people like you dedicated to their personal growth and their personal development. If you have questions with anything that you have learned here, what help with something going on in your life, you can also pop on a free coaching call. Just head over to my website, grab a spot, and I can't wait to visit with you about this. Thanks for being with me here. Have an amazing weekend, everyone, and I will see you next Friday at 11 Central. See you soon. You have been listening to the Becoming You Show with me, your host, Leah Rowling, where I share big ideas to inspire, impact, and influence your life. Tune in every Friday at 11 Central on TransformationTalkRadio.com for your morning cup of coffee, the hug you never want to end, and that inspirational message that you felt was written just for you. Each show is inspiring you to become you. 
with purpose and intention. For more information or to connect with me, visit www.leahrolling.com.